Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, October 1st, 2021. And this is episode number 688 of the podcast. We're continuing our celebration of Film Wax Radio's 10th year in existence, its 10th year anniversary, with another one of my earliest guests. On this episode, we're going to talk to Ken Lowy. Ken Lowy was my fourth guest ever, and uh, he was uh, the owner of the Brooklyn Heights Cinema back in the day when that existed. And uh, sadly, it doesn't exist anymore, but Ken does, <laughs> and he's going to be on this episode. Uh, but first, a film that's going to be at the Woodstock Film Festival up here near where I live, directed and written by a friend of the show, and that is Dan Mervish, and he's going to be on with some people from the film called 18 and a Half, and we're going to get to that in a second. I just want to start off by saying, if you want us to help celebrate Film Wax Radio, one way you could do it is to become a patron of the show. And the way you can do that is to go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmwaxradio, and for as little as $3 a month, you can indeed become a Film Wax patron. For, I think, $5 a month, there will be exclusive content. For instance, we have the actor John Legazimo coming up, and I'm going to make a portion of that interview available to everybody, but the entire conversation will only be available to Film Wax Radio patrons, and um, on and on. But it's a way of supporting what I'm trying to do here, and very soon, sometime in the coming months, I will be actually getting back on the road and start to attend film festivals in person. I just haven't been doing it. One way you can help me do that, and uh, I have all sorts of plans for the show in the next year, and I would love it if um, if I had uh, more resources. It would make things go a lot smoother. That's my plea to get involved in FilmWax, to become a FilmWax radio patron. But back to celebrating the show. Ken Lowy will be on in a little bit in the second segment. First up here now is the team behind 18 and a Half which is, again, having its world premiere at the Woodstock Film Festival. Have you ever wondered what happened to the missing 18 and a half minutes of the Watergate tapes? I know I have. In this 1970s-era Watergate conspiracy thriller dark comedy, a White House transcriber, played by Willa Fitzgerald, stumbles across the tapes and decides it's her civic duty to share the classified information with a reporter. Directed by FilmWax Radio friend Dan Mervish, award-winning director and co-founder of Slamdance, what starts as a hush-hush meeting about the tape quickly gets out of hand. The film also stars Vondi Curtis-Hall, Catherine Curtin, Lloyd Kaufman, Richard Kind. I, I, I can go on and on. Uh, we have on this episode director, co-writer, co-producer, editor of the film, Dan Mervish, as well as co-producer, co-writer... Daniel Moya, and actress Catherine Curtin. Kathy Curtin, back on the show after, I think, about four years. It's so great to bring her back on. You can also watch this particular segment on 
Filmwax TV, which is available at youtube.com slash Filmwax Radio. And while you're there, subscribe to our channel there. Oh, I should mention, if you are in the Hudson Valley area, even now, Friday, October 1st, you might still be able to get tickets to Sundays. I, I understand tomorrow there's a Saturday, October 2nd, 4 o'clock. Screening may be sold out. It's at the Tinker Street Cinema in Woodstock, New York. And then on Sunday, October 3rd at 7 p.m. at The Lot at Blueprint, which is a drive-in. Or I think it's a pop-up drive-in, but I'm not positive about that. Uh, that's in Kingston, New York. There's going to be a second screening. And then if you just get a virtual pass to the festival, which you can all do all that at woodstockfilmfestival.org. Uh, but if you get a virtual pass for the festival, you can watch it now over the course through the weekend, I believe. So the festival runs from, uh, is already um, uh, happening and it's running through this weekend. Uh, so I think through the 3rd of October. Uh, here we go. This is my conversation with Dan Mervish, Daniel Moya, and Catherine Curtin, about 18 and a half, only on Filmwax Radio. Oh, I, I should also mention, and it comes up in this conversation, that it will soon be at the Tall Grass Film Festival, which will also have virtual uh, screenings, uh, virtual options. So if you don't get a chance to see it at Woodstock in October, there'll be an opportunity to see it at Tall Grass Film Festival. Uh, okay, okay, back to Dan, Daniel, and Kathy here on Filmwax Radio. We've taken all you give. It's getting hard to make a living. Here's the president. Dulcet tones of Kathy Kirshen. Yes, oh, I, I don't think I have dulcet tones at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Dulcet. Yeah, tones. I don't know. Just trying to kiss your butt. Yeah, I guess so. Well, it didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> okay. How about this? Uh, what a wonderful actor you are. I don't know about that. It's I always. I'm not sure about that. What? What well, about? You can't be inside my head. I am allowed to decide. Why do you think I pursue you so? I don't know. These are random things in life. I don't know why anything happens anymore. How are you? I love your microphone. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's just a prop, of course. (laughs) It makes me look... See, if you have the tools, you don't actually have to be competent at what you... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's that's how I lead my life. (laughs) I'm I'm all for that with you. Um, well, thanks for being early. I mean, uh, I know that the Dans will be on here probably any second. But I don't know. I just got off an interview that was supposed to be half oh. an hour and an hour oh. and 45 minutes. Wait, say an- that again. It was supposed to be a half hour and an hour and 45 minutes later. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I have to go. And what was that about? What can you 
off off the record mention who it was? No, I, I can't. I don't even know who it was. I don't even know. It was some program. It was ridiculous, and I I was just like, this is an, I've never heard of an hour and forty five minute interview. I've ne- I didn't know those existed. I didn't know hour forty five minute interviews existed, and I'm like, there that's was not three- an, it. Yeah, you're right. I think that's no longer considered an interview at that point. <laughs> it's considered like a relationship. A relationship. <laughs> what? Well. well yeah, and I'm just thinking. Unless, of course, they went just went over, asked you questions about the, all the. Well, films no, I mean there were and... there was three of us, and they showed a clipping from the film, and you know oh. all of this stuff. But I mean, I'm like, okay, I, I didn't know. It was I didn't know we were, you know? So you anyway. want to take a minute and like, do you want to take a minute or two then? I mean, hi, Dan Mervish. No, I have in my water. I'm good. Oh, hey, there's Dan. Okay. Hey, Kathy, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. I just saw you in a movie. Oh, what, what movie? Yeah, yeah. Our movie. Oh, so you're... <laughs> I just watched it for the first time with, like, picture and sound. Oh, that's so fun. How was we, it? It's did great. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. You, you do great in the film. Oh, well, you're very sweet to say that. And how do you do in the film? How's your directing? And how's your, your film writing? And how is your you're producing and how is all of the amazing hats that you wore it's all all uh, all on the screen so uh wow. yeah i think that's you'll so like cool. it i'm so excited for you congratulations that's huge thank you well it is because we had the dcp uh delivered last week and and the color was all wrong so i had to get another place fix it so um and i'm going to be hand delivering it to woodstock on thursday Night. Wow, that's stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Wet from the lab. Old yeah, school. wow. Okay. Well, I'll see you there Saturday. I'll be there Saturday, you guys. Fantastic. We yeah. are looking forward yeah, to seeing you there. My, yeah, I figure out my timing there, too. Um, let me just okay. You're going to be there, right, Adam? You're gonna yeah, be there. I'll have to be there. I have to go. And I, you know, I, it's just so, it's just what, one thing that, you know, is a little frustrating for me is that. I have to watch it early in order oh. to do what we're doing here. Oh, right. And then, but it's worth it. But uh, I guess I could see it again. But you also, you know, it's interesting because like you're watching it alone and you, you're not watching it with an audience. And that always, I yeah. think, is a real difference on some level. I mean, it's always surprising to me. You know, I think it's one film and then you watch it with an audience and you're like, oh, man, this is a completely different film. I didn't know it was this film, you know. So I, I think that's a, such a fun thing to do when a film first comes out before it's been branded and tagged and reviewed and mm-hmm. you know, judged within an inch of his life to, to, ta- to sit in one of those first audiences and just let the audience tell you what the film is that you've made. It's so cool. Right, Dan? I mean, I just think. Yeah, that's Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Dan, have you seen uh, Kathy in Worth? I have not. I have not, oh, but I heard she's well, fantastic in it. Yeah, I, I mean... I have like two minutes at the top. But... It's two <laughs> minutes at the top, but I mean, I'm glad it was at the top. But like, I real, I texted my ex, you know, wife about, I said, don't watch Worth because it's your... I knew she would just have a very, very really difficult time watching that i mean i had to keep turning it on pause and turning it up because i found it incredibly uh difficult to watch that movie but you your your minutes in it were 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 i was so glad it was at the i just oh kathy oh that's nice oh yeah but it's a very profoundly moving film hi daniel hello hello hi everybody oh there's daniel hi daniel hi kathy how you doing 
It's been a while. It's been a while. I can create reunions when I do it. I'm just... I, I nice to meet you, Adam. Reunions. Thanks for having us. Yeah, hey, th- nice to meet you too. And thanks for everybody for being patient. They were shooting a movie up here and I got somehow gratefully wrangled into being on the crew. Ooh, fun. Cool. That's fun. So what are you doing on it? Well, I did a bunch of things. First, I started location scouting. They want, they needed to shoot up here. And I looked at a number of places, to try to find a place that would be quiet enough outside to do it. It's difficult because especially at the beginning of the, uh, I don't want to spend much time on this because we only have an hour and 45 minutes and I lady, <laughs> Kathy knows what I'm getting. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You have to be on the set at 3 a.m. What am I even starting to talk about? I'll I'll just say this, that that it's a producer who's a friend who just coincidentally was looking for a location. They pretty much had, but they wanted me to look at some others. It's Andrew Bajalski, who I'm Mm -hmm. sure some of you may know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's his latest movie. And it's it was with Lily. I guess I can say Lily Taylor is in it, who I know, and she lives up. She and her husband live up here too. They they have a place up here, so they want. I guess that's one of the reasons why they shot it here. But anyway, it's it. I'll, I'll tell you about it some other time when we have more time. But I do try to want to respect everybody's evening. So, but cause, sounds uh, wonderful though. Sounds it really was. Great. Yeah, I, it was over. It's uh, I we wrapped the, and the movie's over. So it was just, oh, I was okay. just needed. I was just needed on set yesterday and today, but I did some other days where I was like, walk, you know, going to other places and doing sound checks and getting you know, this. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great. Cool. How fun. So, I, so if you're making a movie, any of you guys in the future, I, I, I can send you to these guys and maybe they'll give me a, a nice review of the, of my work. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, 18 and a half is the name of the movie. I'm going to just say it's going to be at the Woodstock Film Festival. It's going to have two screenings at the Woodstock Film Festival. One on Saturday, the big premiere. Mm -hmm. This is the first time audience will see it on Saturday, the 2nd of October, four o'clock in the afternoon at the Tinker Street Cinema in Woodstock in the Hudson Valley of New York State. Only hours from where... 18 and a half minutes of uh, audio content was uh, erased, but still incriminated Richard Nixon. Still, the even the 18 and a half blank tape incriminated Richard Nixon. Which and then okay, well, I'm already getting saturated. Sunday again uh, at uh, at uh, Sunday the third at seven o'clock in the evening at the lot at Blueprint, whatever that means in Kingston, New York. Right. So that's a drive-in screening. Oh, that's a drive-in. Good. You passed. That's correct. And, <laughs> and what can I say? I was so, so glad to uh, see it and to you guys to come on. It's such a treat. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, a, I've always had a bizarre Nixon obsession also. Just, I think, I don't know about you guys. Kathy, did you, did you, did you, uh, you know what? This- I, I, I remember I was very little, um, uh, but I remember uh, when it happened, sort of the whole Watergate thing, because um, my family, I remember my parents, we had Nixon buttons all over the house. And my family, my, my parents were into Nixon. Oh. And we stayed at the Watergate Hotel. 
and we were seriously into Nixon and I was really, really little. And I just remember when it happened, it felt like the veil of innocence about authority collapsed because my parents were really the kind of people that like if the doctor told them, you know, this is what's wrong with you, they would believe the doctor. And, you know, if the politician said this is the United States of America, they would believe that this was the United States of America. And I think that this was really for this country. One of the one of the massive breakthroughs of trust that number 45 has completely exploited. But yeah, uh, you you said that you're if your parent is the doctor said something to your parents, they would believe it. So you're saying is that doctors and medical scientists should be trusted. Well, I mean, I think there was a trust from that generation. I don't know. I know. Right? But I think there was, there was a trust factor, right? That, that that generation, that generation was taught to trust authority. They really were. And I just remember being very little and, and everybody in this, my household, it was like, it was like the veil of something. I, you know how kids, they don't understand, but they understand a feeling. And there was clearly a feeling that was very, uh, it was very dense. And I remember it very clearly. And um, I, so, yeah, I am very interested. I don't, I don't know enough about the subject really, but these two gentlemen do that. I know. Daniel and Dan do. Well, I'm going to go to Dan Mervish and Daniel Man- Daniel uh, Moya. Don't worry, I haven't, I haven't forgotten you, although you seem to look... See, I'm going to insult everybody if I say you look too young to know who re- like to have been alive during the Nixon <laughs> period. But... <laughs> so I was not. I'll just that stick my true. foot in it all the time. Yeah, Dan Mervish. Hi. How is it that you made a movie about this when it seems like most of these kids that are going to these festivals... <laughs> Wouldn't know what 18 and a half referred to, let alone after seeing it, still might not quite understand like the full grasp of what happened 50 years ago. Well, this all started, if you remember, my last film was Bernard and Huey, um, which was written by uh, Jules Pfeiffer. And on the day of the November 16 election uh, was the day after we wrapped that film. And I was out seeing Pfeiffer, who lives on Shelter Island, um, and showing him dailies from the film, but naturally we were talking about the, the Trump election and inevitably uh, comparisons went to, uh, to Nixon. So we started talking about Nixon. We started talking about Watergate. And then that night I was staying with uh, my friend, Terry, who owns a motel out on, uh, out in oh. Greenport on the tip of Long Island. And this, this is a motel called the such Silver Such a Can. good place. It's such a good place. Yeah. Cool. Kathy's been adopted by the family there. And you're um, trying to find a place that's, both comfortable and lit is that the idea exactly yeah. <laughs> sorry no I'm problem sorry. no sorry. no don't worry about it I'm, that's our nickname for kathy comfortable and lit well um, and well lit yeah uh, so we, so uh terry's grandparents built this place in the 50s and 60s and and it looks like it's preserved in in amber from 1974 at least so uh, and it, and he's used it for a lot of commercial sh- uh, shoots and and a lot of fashion shoots out there. But he said, "Hey, no one's ever shot a feature here." And I said, "Well, we were just talking to Pfeiffer. Uh, let's do a Watergate film." And then I got my good pal Daniel Moya involved, roped him into it, and coincidentally, his um, well, Daniel, you pick up the story from here. Yeah, Daniel. 
Yeah, Daniel. Yeah, Dan, <laughs> uh, I just graduated USC where Dan also went. I flew home to Long Island for the summer and I got a call from Dan and he had what was essentially the summary of the movie. Um, and he said, do you want to write it? And I did not know much about Watergate, to be honest. So that summer was a lot of research and building the knowledge. And what I kind of clung on to after I had the, the story straight, as straight as it ever could be, was that no one had any answers about much of anything. They were steeped in a paranoia the entire time. And that seemed fun to me, was uh, to get into the questions of things, not worry so much about the black and white of what happened, how did it happen. It's been done a million times in a, in a million good things. Um, what happens when you put hopefully interesting characters in a unique place who all want something different and are all lying to each other? Um, I started in acting school, spent 10 years in acting school as a kid, so I love actors and characters and writing for good actors. And we basically hit the jackpot on this, on this movie, and, I think. So it was a and, treat and for more, me. And more importantly, let me add that uh, Daniel's um, aunt worked at a uh, diner in the same town, just down the street from the Silver True. Sands. And so we're like, great, two locations, we got a movie. Yeah, the first 15 minutes of the movie is in that Front Street station. Still operational, very delicious if you're in Greenport. Do a little tour of the movie yeah. if you want. And I'll, and also a period appropriate uh, location. And, and they knew Terry and the motel. So we were like, well, now we got to make the movie. You know, it'd be well, rude so not to at this point. How much of it is, is taken from like facts? Like, I mean, uh, where... <laughs> so was... facts for the, for the love of God, Spock. Yeah. No, but how it's, did you I mean look, this is a historical fiction film. Yes. And, and we kind of take the approach of historical fiction like um which is a little different than Tarantino's approach where history is completely changed by the end of it. But um yes. Where wow. where they are hist- they're fictional characters living in a historical world. Mm-hmm. Um and uh but we but as daniel said we did a lot of research and so remarkably almost everything on the tape itself that you want do wind up hearing in the movie is based either on real uh nixon tapes or on the historical record or things that came out later uh i mean because to this day nobody really knows what was on the 18 and a half minute gap or who erased it so it's you know, it's all speculative anyway, but, but everything, there's a lot more true in it than people think. Even some of the weirder conspiracy things in there are all based on, on real things as, as strange as some of them sound. Would you say Daniel is that's a. Yeah. We always talked about that. We hope this movie feels like it could have happened in the real world, despite being totally made up. Exactly. It's, it's like speculative fiction. Understood. Um, Speculative historical fiction. (laughs) <laughs> it's an area that you, maybe you are uh, kind of going to create. I'm just, I know that the voice of, or you have created, but I know that the voice of Nixon here is Bruce Campbell. Yes. Right. Yeah. How did you agree? Wouldn't he want to be on camera, but he's well, only. He, we had talked to him about doing another part in the movie that would have been on camera. The old bait and switch. I get it. Yeah. And um, and then he couldn't do it uh, for a scheduling reason or something. So I said, well, Bruce, you're not getting out of the movie that easy. So how do you like to play Nixon? 
And like Kathy, he, and I mean, he may even be older than Kathy because Kathy's only 29. So, but Bruce um, remembers, uh, he was, well, she was devoted- 29 before the earlier interview. Now she's in her probably 40s something. Exactly. Something anyway. But the point is uh, Bruce was a teenager during the Watergate years. And he said he was, he was glued to the screen during the Watergate hearings. And so yeah. okay. he, and he had done, he himself, as well as uh, his buddy, Ted Ramey had actually already done some, some kind of Nixon stuff. So oh. they were, they were very well versed, uh, both of them in, in that world. And so, uh, so he jumped at the chance. And honestly, for an actor, I mean, it's easy. Uh, and it went, and actually, even with with COVID, it made it even easier. We wound up recording all the voice actors, which are him, Ted Ramey, and John Cryer, um, oh, essentially on Zoom calls, just like this, kind of a little bit more glorified than this. But it made it much easier for them to do from the comfort of their home, and honestly, cheaper for us because we didn't have to bring them all to the same studio in the same town. Right. So, um, but he was great. He was great. We really wanted someone, you know, who wouldn't just give us a impersonation of Nixon, but really would bring their own character and gravitas to the, to the I want somebody who will just do a good impression of Nixon. And let me just say this about that. (laughs) Well, uh, Rich Little's apparently still alive, so he's available. Yes. But uh, but that's not exactly what we wanted. We wanted uh, Bruce as Nixon. No, yes, of course. Uh, um, I was just joking about that. Uh, you, but you also have okay. So let's Kathy, Kathy, and uh, is, is uh, in a uh, the main couple rather uh, in this the film that they have the tape. But you have the younger couple played by John Magaro and Willa Fitzgerald, right? Okay, yes. So and they go to the the what was the name of the hotel? The motel, the Silver Sands Motel, Silver Sands Motel this retro uh, with the tape. And then uh, they meet this older couple who seduce them into hanging out with them. Well, actually, no, they, they, they bring the tape and Willa's character wants to play it for John. Right. Mm -hmm. And their machine breaks. And so they are end up hanging out with this other couple played by Kathy and Bondi Curtis Hall. Right. And then they, happen to have another the back then there weren't uh, there weren't mb3 players and and iphones obviously so people listen to audio on reel to reels exactly yes yeah so they they were maybe not exactly who they thought the the kathy and bondi's characters weren't exactly who you think they are i think that's i think that's safe to say too much is that there's you, you you should know pretty quickly that there's something funny going on with kathy and Bondi, there's always something funny going on with Kathy. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. That, that is, I've learned that one myself. <laughs> who's that, who's who's now, Kath? How did you arrive at this particular accent? Because you're a character actor. You're 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 a chameleon. You you you're sometimes unrecognizable from one film to another. Oh, Here's that's good. That's yes. Good. That's good. Skill. Um. It, uh... I had just been up um, shooting a film in in the Woodstock area, above Woodstock. What? I yeah, know. Uh, um, off a lot of route, yeah, no, off of Route Twenty Eight, and I got a thousand dollars speeding ticket. I <laughs> what? Is yeah, that true? Yeah, but uh, don't don't tell the policeman when he stops you that you don't know what the speed limit is. That that's like I should have known that. <laughs> Was that on the Taconic? No, on Route Twenty Eight at that route oh. that up. up Anywhere near Phoenician Diner, you know, Phoenician yeah. Diner. Okay. So I was shooting Werewolves Within, which is a really fabulous horror comedy that came out earlier 
was at their trip back at Film Festival and came out. And um plugging another movie. I am. And um I plug everything all the time. And uh I was coming home from that and my manager called me and said that there's a film that lost an, an actor and it's starting on Tuesday. And I was horrified because I thought, you know, um, I mean, I spend my life doing indie films and um I I think indie filmmakers are some of the most courageous artists among us. And uh I'm always yeah, and I'm always fascinated by them. And that somebody would only have three days to put their act, put find an actor to put them in to get them on location, da da da. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm in. I'm definitely in. I'm part of the collective. I'm part of the I'm part of the the group of people that are indie films. And they were like, well, can you, you do are. a French accent? And I was like, oh, you know, I did a film last year. They asked me if I could play tennis. And I said, yes. And I didn't, I don't know how to play tennis. So I, I, I thought, you know, it's got to be easier than playing tennis. So um, <laughs> <laughs> then um, I, uh, I said, yeah. And I don't think I really did a French accent. It was like Euro trash. It was like Euro trash. My, my niece uh, who is grown up in London told me that my accent was rubbish. So uh, <laughs> nice. I am, yeah, I'm fully prepared to um, receive all flack on that, but Daniel and Dan were really sweet about it. And, you know, they were like, well, maybe she's just a mutt, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll just resign to the fact that she's just stranger. I think it makes sense. In a, but again, no spoilers. Uh, it's fine. Uh, but I, I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, you, you know, have you done a film festival like Woodstock where you sh- are in any fewer than two or three films? Because <laughs> you do, you are dedicated to independent but, films. I right, love Daniels, it. Dan and yeah. Daniel, because like she's, I, I'm telling you, she's in at least two movies at Woodstock again. And it, it was the case. I think when I met you the first time, it was on um, Harris. Oh, Harris's film. Yeah. Harris's Beautiful. film, which I wrote down here, but my eyes can't get to it fast enough. Chris Warren, Beauty Mark, Beauty Mark. Beauty Mark. And, um, and that was when you were, I don't know if you remember, but we did the podcast and we were standing outside of this theater in Woodstock. Uh, it was kind of crazy, but um, yeah. anyway, but it's the case again. It's like you, you do so much. Is it, uh, it, I was surprised you had the flexibility when, when they came to you about these filling in for this, in this role that you could, well, I mean, also, it's like you've got I, 10 commitments coming up. It's, no, but I mean, also, you know, I, 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 um, well, I mean, Dan is really famous for slam dance, and I mean, you are Dan, and Thank you. you know, um, um, Daniel uh, was just the dearest person to work with, as was Dan. That's very sweet natured Dan. Yeah, and so I just, you know, for me, it was it was a very, um, um, it was it was really a a, a, um, a challenge and a blessing, and the wardrobe gal was one of the, I think she's one of the top wardrobe people. I mean, yeah, she Sarah building, don't you think so? She was building costumes overnight. Like she like, like people would have an idea, like, like, I don't know. We had the idea. Somebody had the idea. It was, you know, the character I played, you know, she dresses like Emma Peel. And then all of a sudden, like 7 a.m. in the morning, this wildly fantastic wardrobe appears. This, the next costume, the next piece, the next piece. And you know, like felt like the whole film was like that. I felt this film, this was one of the indie films that was really blessed 
with um, truly talented and dedicated and amazing people. I think um, from the camera to the crew uh, across the board, I, I thought it was just one of the most interesting films. And um, I really love period pieces and they're very expensive and they're very hard to do. So um, the fact that, that, that this could be pulled off as an indie film, I think it's amazing. And, um, you know, Curtis Fondy Hall is, um, I guess I've been a fan of his forever, you know, and uh, he's one of my gods. I think he's a genius. And uh, so, I mean, it was, it was, it was really wonderful to do. And I, I think we have to stick together in the indie film community uh, uh, at all costs, because it's not a community that is being funded properly. And I think it is the auteur voice. It's the voice of the independent artist. It's, 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 it's our best chance at the NPR of film of, of what, of, 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 of without the commercial Hollywood, um, you know, vote by committee corporate structure that is entertainment. It is the most closest I think we have to art for art's sake in the film industry. And I think we absolutely must have it. And I, I really pray that, more people than not get to see all of these indie films, especially 18 and a half, which I think is a, just a fabulous romp. It's funny and it's charged and it's political and it's strange and it's, it's, it's violent and it's loving and it's, it's ridiculous. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. I, it's so many things. I just thought it was so many things. I was like, wow, this is genius. Oh, well, so, thank you so much, Kathy. That's yeah. what I feel. I feel that. I wanted to say something snarky and sarcastic and funny afterwards, but uh, like who's paying you off to say those things, but I, I won't do it because. Because you can't, because people no, can't. No, because it off. was very lovely. And I've been <laughs> saying these things for you. I've also, I have the same thoughts and feelings that you do about it, And you said it so beautifully. There's a, a, a whole palette of op options of things you can see. And that will just sort of add add uh, textures and uh, to your life and to the way you feel and think if you're not just watching, you know, what, what you're fed by more mass media and, you know, corporate side of things. Not saying that that doesn't have its place, but there's other options too. And that's why film festivals like Woodstock, like Tallgrass, Slamdance, one of the granddaddies, you know, is so important, you know. And, well, uh, as I, Kathy said, we're like the NPR of of, uh, of film, and therefore we have mugs available. Hey, and, I want a uh, mug. And tote bags, and and we even have uh, masks available that we <laughs> oh, can boy. wear. I don't have so, any of those. You know, we'll, uh, we're still taking donations. You know, if you're if you're, I, I, I hope I'm going to get a mask. Yeah. No, we only had two made, but you can order them online. Sorry, they, they're kind of expensive, honestly. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, we gave you a button. Didn't we give you a button, Kathy? I got a button. No, I'm you good. I'm good. Button. I got the button. I've got, I'm good. Thank you so That's, much. I love yeah, my no, button. Because it's, it's low budget. Yeah, no, those, uh, the werewolves within people, those, those guys, they can have masks or whatever. Um, <laughs> speaking of low budget, though, you have the granddaddy of, of low budget in your movie, if you blink, you'll miss him. But Lloyd Kaufman, yes, friend of this podcast, 
is 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 in 18 and a half which exactly which i mean that was uh it's always great to see him in a, <laughs> do one of his cameos do you want to tell me about that? Well, L- Lloyd's been, I- I've known Lloyd. Oh, for- right. He was in one of your other movies, wasn't he? No, 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 no. Oh, no, no he no, wasn't. No. Okay. No, I've tried to, I've tried to not cast him in most of my movies. And, um, <laughs> but no, he, he's been a friend going back to the, almost the beginning of Slam Dance. Um, we've done things together out in Park City before. And then, uh, and actually he was emailing me about like, oh, uh, can I come to Slam Dance this, this year? This is in January, 2020. And I said, well, Lloyd, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be shooting a movie. And he goes, well, can I be in it? <laughs> can I do? And he said, I'm in all of James Gunn's movies. And I was like, well, I can't compete with James Gunn. So I guess I have to say yes. Uh, but then as it turned out, he was, he was actually close friends with our cinematographer's father. Um, oh. And so she knew L. L. Schneider knew knew Lloyd very well, and which was a wow. weird coincidence. Hmm. And um, and look, he's he's Lloyd. If he can come, he he, right. he and he did. He made it out all the way there, and and for yeah, very brief role, but it was fun having him, and he's a great inspiration. It was actually it was, it was our last day of shooting, Daniel. It was uh, j- during COVID during in September 2020. Uh, it wasn't a stressful day at all, but it was it was fun having Lloyd around. For sure. I, I'm, I, I'm sure it was. Again, uh, 18 and a half will be at the Woodstock Film Festival at the Tinker Street Cinema in Woodstock on Saturday, the third, uh, second rather, of October at four o'clock. And again, uh, in Kingston uh, at a, at a, a uh, drive-in called the, the Lot at on Sunday, the third, at seven o'clock in the evening, once it gets nice and dark and they can show it. And it is also available online virtually. through the right. uh, Woodstock Thank you for reminding me. Uh, it's going to be available through the uh, uh, duration of the film festival virtually for those who get go that route so you can see it there but come and see it for god's sake it's a- and it's, it's going to do really well because it's a fabulous film yeah and it's going to get an, a very very healthy uh streaming i'm sure platform release and i think it's one of the most exciting scripts uh in terms of political Thank comedy you, thrill, thrillers that's happening right now and i really believe that and if you miss this you're silly Everybody in D.C. absolutely needs to see this, first of all. But yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, we're already starting to talk about how and where to do a screening in D.C. Because, um, yeah, they, they're, they're going to love it there, for sure. Um, but, uh, but yes, but from Kathy's uh, lips to, to uh, Ted Sarandos's ears, hopefully this will be uh, purchased. We actually distribute our saw oh. for the first time today. Okay. So this is a, this is a real virgin premiere, which a lot of festivals, even the right. big ones, don't really have anymore. But this is this is a true world premiere of the film. But since we're on the subject of that, let's tick in because I can all the, the maybe I'm trying to think out what's the best way to do this, but maybe we can use it for tall graphs too. And sure, you know, and, and plug those screenings. I don't think that's a problem because it's sort of a. They, I right. think actually Melanie and and maybe Mayura may agree to share the premiere and it's almost yeah like, so we're very stock is showing it first exactly so we're very excited we're going to be playing um actually when is the date is it october daniel october 22nd yes in um in wichita kansas um at the, at the orpheum Film Theater. festival yeah and yeah no they put the can in kansas there it's a it's uh, really it's an, an amazing oh, festival nicely done 
Thank you. And um, uh, and it's exciting. I know our cinematographer, L. Schneider, is going to be there, and Daniel and I may be there as well for that, because it, it really is an amazing venue and, and a fantastic festival. And uh, and I knew Mel Addington, when the festival director, when she was running uh, Oxford, and this is her first year at yes. Tallgrass. So, yeah, it is a nice community of, of you know, the, of film festival people, and, and they do know each other, and they talk to each other. And and there's a lot more of them than just, you know, Toronto and New York Film Festival, you know, um, because these are the these are the scruffy festivals well, that are really awesome. showing the real American independent films before they have distribution, before they have buzz, before they have press. And, and they're they're the brave ones out there. Any, and they, any and idiot they, can program and say, "Ooh, I want to show all the films that were at Cannes and Venice. It's also harder to, for these festivals, it, they have a, much more of an uphill climb because the, the ones you mentioned just a minute ago in like at the Tribeca's of the world, and of course the Sundance's, they're, they're, people are flocking to show the films there. Of course, it's a big leg up. However, the other, these other festivals that are really in the, in the mud and, 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 you know, are so committed and have a deep, deep passion for not only the films, but for you guys, you know, mm-hmm. the filmmakers and the actors, uh, uh, um, you know, they have to kind of really work hard to get quality films like 18 and a half directed by Dan Mervish and co-written and produced by Daniel Moya and starring Kathy Curtin. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it is. Yeah. Funny. But you know what? I think, I, I, I think also uh, for Woodstock, this could not be a better film for Woodstock because I mean, Daniel, maybe you want to take this or whatever, but I, I, I mean, the history of Woodstock and the power of this festival. Nixon uh, would be rolling over in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> From Watergate yeah, to Woodstock. Right. With those communists, the, the communists and the Jews are having sexual intercourse in the, in the mud. In the mud, we're get, and all our screenings are going to be in the mud, and and right, is that how that works up there, <laughs> Kathy? You, you've been there. Uh-huh, yeah, oh god, yeah, I'm a mud. I love the mud. I've yeah. loved my, my whole life. Yeah, sex in the mud sounds good to me. <laughs> Daniel, did you have anything less to say? I, I'm sorry, I didn't seem to. No, not at all. It was. <laughs> well, you come back on. Also, I will say this just to say what Kathy Daniel, said about. I'm talking. <laughs> It was, a, it was a good, uh, there was a moment in the movie, this is not a spoiler, I don't think, where all of our four lead characters are dancing with one another, taking turns with every possible combination. And uh, our small, amazing crew, you know, it's something's working when the crew is watching, uh, oh. watching. And so everyone on the crew was watching. Everyone was like laughing, having a good time. And the music was playing Louis Scarra's uh, score he had done in advance. So we could have it while we were shooting, like a temp version of the score. And he'll he'll be at Woodstock too. And he'll be there. A oh. lot of our crew is going to be there. I think there's oh, a good seven or eight crew oh. members going. Um, and it's I'm just a- looking at all these people in this room that looks like it's from the 70s, dressed like they're from the 70s, for amazing actors. And as a writer and producer, it was just basically the best case scenario. And I, uh, I. I think about that a lot. I, it was it was it was a joy. So now we finally four and a half years on get to show it to everybody, and I hope everybody likes it. <laughs> it wasn't four and a half years since we shot that, but uh, but no. a week later we yeah, did find out there was a, a global pandemic. So oh yeah, yeah. and from concept. yeah, and that, that's something that I think is really proud. You have to be really proud of this film. This film um, 
shut down with, I think, did you guys have two days left? or Four, day, four days left. Oh, four four days, days left. And one of the first to come back uh, in yeah. as soon as yeah. uh, SAG allowed people to shoot, this was the first call I got. And <laughs> I, I just, that makes me cry, you know, so... And, and almost everyone on the cast and crew was able to come back, which was yeah. a real testament to to how much they uh, uh, trusted us <laughs> for one thing. Yeah, and uh, to to figure out all the COVID protocols, and thankfully everyone stayed safe. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had unfinished business. We had to get it. We had to get it. Everyone. Now we all get to enjoy it. Hopefully, you know. So I'm glad we all get to be together and see it in a, in a theater. It's going to yeah. be. It's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. I, just to finish things off here, I'm going to let you guys go. But the the um in that summer uh, when Nixon resigned, I was at uh, it was during the summer I think of seventy four, Kathy seventy three, four somewhere seventy four is when he resigned seventy four seventy four I think I, th- I think so and it was during the summer and I was at summer camp and they called us all into the dining room, right, right. and they didn't even have a TV but they turned on the radio and. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we all, the entire camp listened to Nixon. Now, my parents were avid Nixon haters, as opposed to Kathy's folks from the from the moment go. So I, we, I mean, I, so I knew Nixon was not a good guy. But I looked up and I went to a real progressive, like hippie camp. I mean, seriously, in, in, in uh, not too far from Woodstock, like a little further south. But and I just looked over and one of the camp counselors, you know, this uh, young woman, was crying, and I thought. Well, Nixon's a jerk. Why? Why is she crying that he's resigning? It's a good thing, isn't it? But it, it took exactly what you said before, Kathy. It was the end of an innocence for the country, and it broke the heart of the country in a way that that our own leader could uh, getting kind of emotional remembering it. But I, I, that that the leader of the country could do such a thing as mislead and cheat the the country. You know, I think it was a first, really, for this country. I mean, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, you know, World War One, World War Two, it was a glorious right. thing, and you know, uh, come out of you know the Korean War and Vietnam, and those were not so good, and we shouldn't really have been there, and very, very mixed. And but thank God for our army. My brother-in-law was in Nam, and the people who were there and did that great service were, were extraordinary. You know, I have a son. You know. Uh, if my son had been in Nam, I can only think how proud I would have been just that he would serve his country. But, uh, you know, it was it was a change. And this was like following, you know, burning of the bras in the 60s revolution. This was really like this was this was the straw that broke the camel's back, I think, in the terms of that 50s ideology of, you know, you believe and you behave you know, in authority. But there's a lot of fun bossa nova music in the film and uh, there's dancing and Richard Kind is in the movie. Oh my gosh. Richard Kind is the best. I ran into him in New York a little while ago. Now this is is the funniest, sexiest, most wild ride you will ever take about those 18 and a half minutes in in your life. And then also Richard. That's probably true. I think Richard Kind and Lloyd Kaufman duped out of that. Who got to wear the eye patch? Richard Kind won. So <laughs> I want to wear an eye patch. You can't both wear eye patches. All right, guys. Thank you we very should much. Ha- we should have 18 and a half themed eye patches 
as oh, that would have been good. good idea. Case. That's a good yeah. idea. That's yeah. a good, that would have been good too. Yes. Yeah. I do. I do hope your listeners get to see this because I have done. I think. I don't know. I think Dan Danielle told me I've done like eighty films <laughs> or something like that. This is a little bit daunting, but this is absolutely hands down one of my most favorite scripts and one of my most favorite films. And I think this is one of the most exciting films from the independent cinema that you could see this year. And I am so proud and excited to be in it. And I'm so grateful that uh, I got to be a small part of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm so, if you don't see this film, you're please as listeners, you're making a huge mistake. This is the reason why you watch indie film. This is it. Wow. Thank you, Thank Kathy. You, Kathy. Can we put that on the poster? Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I, 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 you're, that's the first clip to go up on Instagram. No, I mean, you know, I don't mean to. And I, and I think you're in the next Stan Mervish movie. So. <laughs> Probably not. Not if I can't polish up a French accent. <laughs> French? Okay. Is that what it was? <laughs> um, All right, guys. It uh, was it was such a treat working with Kathy, and we're so excited to see her again at the premiere this Saturday, October 2nd, at the Woodstock Film Festival, and we're very honored to to premiere at Woodstock, and yeah, thanks to everybody there. Come be with us. 4 p.m. Saturday, Woodstock. Be there. We will be there. Come and be with us. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Adam. Thank you Thanks all. for having us on. You are very excited. See you soon. Yes, this weekend. Bye-bye. This weekend. Do it good. Now you can rest, Kathy. Please rest. You have only a few hours till you're on the set. I will. I'm going to rest. Okay. All right, guys. I'll see you. I, I, I'll see you Saturday. Okay. Great. Thanks, Adam. You're such a joy, too. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Dan. All right. Bye, see you all in person soon. called Film Wax Radio, and uh, at the same time, a number of my filmmaker friends were getting their films into theaters, including the Brooklyn Heights Cinema, which is on Henry Street in Brooklyn Heights, and um, it was a an institution, that place, you know. I know that they were, the new owner, who it was named Ken Lowy, who bought it to save the place, really tried everything he could. It was an uphill battle the entire way to try to save the Brooklyn Heights Cinema while Brooklyn was changing so quickly while developers and politicians decided that they were going to essentially sell off Brooklyn 
and make it into just a uh, ATM for themselves. We here in Brooklyn and in New York City, we're losing one institution after another. It's actually not the reason. I mean, I moved out of New York City last year after living there pretty much my entire life, not because of COVID. Well, it was the last straw, I guess. But I had long decided that I was going to leave New York City because I felt that it was being sold out from under me and, and it, I feel it, it has. But part of that, of course, is just being a middle-aged grouch. <laughs> so don't go entirely by my perspective. The New York City I grew up in it wasn't perfect by a long shot. But this conversation with Ken is so great because we talk about these issues, you know, how New York City changed. The challenges of trying to, you know, you can't blame the loss of Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Heights cinema entirely on developers. In fact, a lot of it had to do with the landmarking issues uh, with the local community board and and how stubborn they were and and, uh, things I didn't really understand until my conversation with Ken. So Ken owned the Brooklyn Heights Cinema, as I mentioned before. He tried to save it. He, He had bought it, which was not the greatest business choice, but he did it because he loved the place and he loved movies. So I got to spend a lot of evenings hanging out with Ken and talking to him. And he did the show several times back in the day as the podcast tried to follow the trajectory of the Brooklyn Heights Cinema in those last years and the various attempts to save it. So I felt it was important to document it, you know. What I'll try to do is get some of those conversations back up on the, uh, on the website if anybody's interested in, in listening to the story of the Brooklyn Heights Cinema in real time, because I would meet with Ken, I think at least two, maybe three occasions back in the, in the last decade and talk to him about his various attempts at what he was trying to do. Well, he lost that battle and uh, the Brooklyn Heights Cinema doesn't exist anymore. And Ken was very um, dispirited as a result of that. And he he uh, and his girlfriend left New York. In fact, they left the United States and they moved to Switzerland. And uh, 10 years later, or, or maybe it's not quite 10 years, maybe it's more like seven years later, here we are talking to Ken, who still lives in Switzerland. And Ken was nice enough to uh, re- have a reunion with me and look back at those years back when we first met and catch up with me. So the conversation we had actually was much longer than this one you're about to hear. We talked politics for a good half hour, I think, or something. And I've, I've edited most of that out because uh, I wanted to kind of keep the conversation more or less germane. So in order to celebrate 10 years of Film Wax, guest number four, which was recorded on October 5th, 2011, here is my conversation with Ken Lowy here on Film Wax Radio. Well, I laid around 
Right now, it's I guess it's Sunday evening. Yeah, we're getting towards the evening, right? It's yeah, is it six twenty or five twenty? Six twenty. Okay, so there is a six-hour difference. Okay, so yeah. well, I you know I do appreciate your responding because it's like you know I don't know if you're doing anything at all related to you know running a cinema anymore. I my guess is you're not, but no. I was kicking around how to a way to recognize this. That I've been doing this crazy thing for ten years. Yeah, it's great. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Yeah, neither. That, that, yeah, we met 10 years ago. That's, uh, that's unbelievable, really. Right? It's just like, just like that, right? And the only other two people, I, well, no, there were three, but two of the people that I booked also to reminisce <laughs> is Michael Galinsky, yeah. our, our, our good friend, and uh, Zachary Levy, strongman director. Oh, really? Who you had, a, who yeah, you, yeah, you showed strongman. And uh, we talked about it. Uh, I think it came up in my conversation with Zachary the other day that, you know, he's, we did the Brooklyn Heights. Well, you did it. I didn't have anything to do with that other than coming, I think. I think I just I may have helped promote it. How are they doing? These two guys? Yeah, I haven't spoken to them in years. I know. It must be very odd to be disconnected from people yeah. in the sense, even geographically, because... If I'm feeling it a little bit, and I only a little, yeah, being across the ocean, you know, and especially the last year and a half, right? You know, with with COVID and all the the cinemas being closed for so long, um, right? You know, are, are they? I mean, are they still making films? Michael Galinsky is, you know, they've been very prolific. He's in North Carolina, you know, he and Yeah, he, he moved there like before I left. Oh, okay. So he's there. You know, he's very practical and very creative in that way. I don't think he's, he's always has work and yeah. projects going on. Right. And Zachary has been uh, working, uh, at least in part, for Amazon. They apparently did some work for Amazon's web services, which, you know, is like a, among other things, storage and all sorts of internet services that they offer. Yeah, so yeah. He did some work for them. And then I don't know if it's through Amazon itself or through AWS, but he's been doing some film projects or something related content, make, you know, so he's busy. Oh, good. Great. Yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully. It's, uh, it's definitely gotten tougher. I mean, uh, it's, I'm glad. Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of work going on uh, because I mean, there's still t so much serial stuff and yeah. know, products. And um, I mean, all these different platforms need content, Ken. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's because, uh, uh, you know, my older brother, uh, he's done, uh, a couple of documentaries and he's got one now that he's just finishing up 
And we were talking about it last week. And I said, you know, there are so many places looking for material now that, you know, in, it's like, yeah, getting it into a cinema might be like almost impossible, but getting it shown, you know, there's Hulu, there's Amazon, there's Apple, uh, there's Netflix. I mean, there's just so many places. And, there, there, and then, you know, like one person I just interviewed, hers on um, Peacock for instance, which is an NBC streaming service. Right, right. And there's, I mean, PBS and there's CNN and there's, I mean, you can keep going on and on. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know, so if it's a well-made and you just persevere, I think, and you've got good, it's a matter of also politics and and good at networking and making relationships because a lot of it, I think, has to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. people know who you are and that you're... right. And have you been? I've been pretty good. I moved upstate. I'm living about 100 miles north of the city. Okay. Right near Bard College. Oh. Do you know where that is? Yeah, yeah. So near, like, between a little north of Rhinebeck, a little south of Hudson, New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Oh, good. My son was in L.A. with his mother for a while, and now they're they're back in New York because she's working there. So that's good and then i'm so i'm going to be down more more frequently yeah. than i than i have been yeah. the past six months let's say yeah. but i'm you know i wanted to get out of the city how long have you been up there about 15 months okay so you left after covid no oh yeah yeah right yeah after it started yeah, yeah. well it started in earnest in new york city in march of last year right right i'm not sure what this a year and a half ago yeah it's amazing. I know. We're well into our second year. Yeah. One thing is I'm curious to know the, a little bit more context of your life in Switzerland. We know each other when, shortly after you took over the Brooklyn Heights Museum. Cinema. Which was cinema. <laughs> shortly after you took over the Brooklyn Heights Cinema, I have very big plans for you, as you can tell, um, <laughs> which would have been, I'm going to guess, around 2008. 10 i guess so because we met in 2011 yeah and it was during the brooklyn film festival well was actually if it was during the brooklyn film it, it was during the brooklyn it film was film that's film. when we met because we were going to show galinsky was going to show right. battle for brooklyn right and they had it in a print yeah yeah and you were the only one showing still showing prints at the yeah. time yeah. And they would always use the Brooklyn Heights Cinema for that. And then the digital stuff happened in Williamsburg. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. And, you know, the thing is that, so if we met 10 years ago, I bought the cinema literally a couple of weeks before that. Okay. So it might have been. So, yeah. So, so it might have been March. You probably, then maybe, if that was, I'm guessing in the year because... I maybe it was 2012. Even I, I'm trying to remember the whole timeline. I guess I could look on my calendar, but because I think it's all in there. <laughs> but um, it was so. Let's just say 10 years ago for shorthand. Yeah. So so I so the interesting thing is I bought the cinema. It took a while to, to like get everything done. Oh, sure. And I think it was like I think it was it was definitely within two weeks of finalizing the deal where the cinema came in. I mean, where the the film festival came in. And one of the that had already was, been set up before you even got oh, there. Oh yeah, because they and were, you agreed they were, to it. 
Yeah, they were doing it every year. So when I came in, I met with, uh, I forget his name, and, and we basically talked about it. And the contracts had already been signed. And I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm really excited about it. Um, the good thing about it was that it was my introduction to the cinema. And I mean, as far as owning it goes, I'd been going there since I was literally a kid, since I was 16 years old. Okay, so, right. Right. Yeah, it was it was an incredible, you know, I think it was like a week or maybe it was two weeks. But what happened is once it was over, it was like tumbleweeds. There was nothing. And I right. like and I just thought, what have I done? Because on a Saturday night, there might be 30 people coming to the theater. And and I just like, what am I going to do? And and I had a plan, but. One of the things that I did that really turned things around almost immediately was I got another booker. Like the guy who was doing all the bookings was terrible. And so I asked around and I asked, I actually asked one of the guys that worked for a distributor. I, I, I don't want to say who, because I don't want to get him in trouble. He might still be there. And he said, you know, we can't do things like that. And I told him the story and I said, listen, it's in your best interest for me to stay in business. And he said, all right, let me, let me give you this guy's name. And he saved my, saved the day. He was great. And I remember now you were very, you were actually public, not public, but you were open about the fact that the prior owner really burned some bridges, which is just really minimized oh, yeah. the debts, their debts. So yeah. that you had, so really minimized what you could show. Well, it did. But one of the things that I did was when I, I, I bought the cinema for practically nothing, but I also picked up a lot of those debts. So it was like, you know, right. those debts are now yours. And I was like, that's fine. So I started paying people off or paying, paying the debts off. And then I was able to play like you Fox. them off instead. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> so I paid Fox. I paid Warner Brothers. I paid um, IFC. And so I was immediately able to get those films. Okay. And, yeah. So, so that, and so, and that's what things really turned around. I forget who else, but there were a bunch of places that I, I immediately paid because I knew that I needed their films. And, uh, and so that's, and the guy who was now the new booker, he would say, Hey, we, we want to get this film. And I was like, okay, I'm paying them off right now. <laughs> you know, it was like, let's, let's get things going like a normal cinema. So, um, so yeah, Michael, Michael's film was like the first big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And did you feel like the, the other big issue you had to grapple with as a independent film, uh, rather uh, independent cinema was the complete transition to digital? Yeah. So I don't know if you know the story about that. So I kept going on with, you know, with film for a long time and my, and this booking agent that I had, the booker, he said, Ken, you're going to have to get at least one screen in digital. And he kept saying it, he kept saying it. And then finally he said, here's the deal. If you don't have this in the next six months, one of your screens is going to be blank because there's not enough film anymore to do two. He said, I can probably get you enough for one, but definitely not two. And so I started looking into it and there's no way we could afford it. So we did a go for uh, uh, so a, many obstacles. Yeah, I'm getting stressed out with just re- going back and talking about it. I know. So what I did was I was going to, you know, there's Indiegogo and there's the other one that's, I think, more famous, which I can't. Kickstarter. Remember. Yeah, Kickstarter. And I was going to go with Kickstarter and several friends of mine 
said, go with Indiegogo because yeah. the problem with Kickstarter is if you want to raise, or nothing. 20, yeah, you want to raise 20,000 and you raise 19,000, you get nothing. Yeah. But you can always, you can, but, but I'm glad I went with Indiegogo yeah. because with Indiegogo, it was like a limited amount of time and we got to the end and we were so close and there was, I forget who, there was a guy who lived in the neighborhood who knew people at Indiegogo and he said, I might be able to get you two more weeks. And I said, really, how? And he said, I know someone there. And literally within two days, I was talking to a guy at Indiegogo and he said, we've read your story. We know who you are. We're going to give you two more weeks because we think you'll be able to make it in two more weeks. Oh, great. And we actually raised more than we needed. That's wonderful. So, yeah, I do. I kind of vaguely remember this. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the, how it turned out, but I do remember the campaign. It was, it I believe was amazing. I gave yeah. And, and I'll tell you, the, the funny part of this is that Fox News, which, of course, is not part of like, you know, crazy Fox. They're the news no, no. The local the local yeah. affiliate is is nothing to do with. Uh, yeah. They 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 heard about it. And the guy came down and did like a five minute segment. And, and and the thing was that they hadn't told me about it. They, they you know, and I was literally in yeah. a, a, a like uh, Brooklyn Heights uh, Association meeting. And I got a, a text from my manager saying, somebody from Fox is going to be here in 15 minutes. You might want to come back. <laughs> and I like ran out of there, came back. And he was great. And, you know, I showed yeah. him everything, talked about what's going on. It aired that night. And the next day, donations picked up. That's great. Uh, I mean, you know, that it turns out probably that would have been the way to focus everything on just local like getting yeah. one to come down getting you know trying to draw as much attention to because this is a very romantic idea right to a lot of people even though they often put their money where their mouth is yeah but some people do and to know that there's this historic institution yeah you know, i can't walk on henry street it's just too painful really yeah i, I can only imagine yeah but the, the last thing that happened we needed two thousand more dollars and word got out that we needed 2,000 more and a check showed up from an anonymous donor for $2,000. And my manager swears she knows who it is and she knows who it is. She said it's, it's between like three people and there were three pretty well-known actors living in Brooklyn Heights. And she said, it's one of them because they wouldn't want their name attached to it. They would want it to be anonymous and they put it over the top. That's and nice. yeah, it's amazing. And and I never really looked into it because I figured if they want to be anonymous, I'll leave it that way. And uh, and then we got we got the uh, digital projector in, and thank God. Who are the three actors just for this? <laughs> you know, I can't remember. Well, one of them is um, I think I know who it was. One of them, oh God, who is uh, he's a really well known actor who lives in Brooklyn Heights. He was in the the. I hate to say I can't remember his name. That's okay. We can edit. He he did the film on wines, on like this this famous this big film out in the West Coast where he's like a wine star. Paul, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, Paul Giamatti. Um, David Cross. Uh, and there's Ross, was it Brooklyn Heights? I, I just saw him again. I was down in the city in Brooklyn. I saw David Cross on the street. Well, he used to pass the cinema all the time, and he came. Okay. Oh yeah, you know what? When I was in. I saw him when I was in Dumbo. 
once. So just a few blocks makes sense. He might have lived in Dumbo because when yeah, I saw him, I think that I think that's the thing. He was yeah. passing by and going, and I went outside. Yeah, and I think it him. is that. Yeah, yeah, because I was a big fan of like you know Mr. Show with Bob. Rested development and, and yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. Mr. Show exactly. Yeah, oh yeah, and I I mean I thought these guys were hysterical. The other one was a woman. And I can't remember her name. It's like on the tip of my tongue. She had this big show on HBO, and it was like it was it was it was really popular. I I, I, I unfortunately can't remember, can't remember her name. And she's basically disappeared. Okay, she, but, but it she, wasn't like Six Feet Under. Or it wasn't no uh, no. Sex she City. Really, it was her own show. It was her own show. Oh okay. Yeah, um, and it's like right on the tip of my tongue. I'll probably remember it tomorrow morning, <laughs> but. Not Lisa Kudrow, of course, because you. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. she had friends as well, so she had she a great was, show. She was and a little it, heavy set. Um, okay. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Really, but my manager said it's her. I know it's her because she comes in here all the time. Oh, probably was her then. Yeah, yeah, and two thousand bucks. Yeah, and two thousand dollars would be just like you have your own HBO show. Probably two thousand is nothing. Not gonna. Nothing. Change right. your yeah. So we think it was probably her. The other person who came into the cinema all the time was Bjork. Get out of here! No, she came in all the time. She always came in like for like a, like a five o'clock show, so that basically she wouldn't be seen. Um, she came, and I only saw her maybe a couple of times. But you know, if she walks in the door, you're like, I know who that is. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Aren't you a sugar cube? <laughs> Yeah. And it doesn't matter how she's dressed. You just look at her face. Right. So she used to come in all the time, but it was the other one who was uh, really frustrating because I know the name and it's just like, uh, but we think it was, she thought it was her. So yeah. So she put her, she put us over the top. And from then on, it was, it was, everything was fine except the last six months or so that I had the theater, there were no good films. And the amount of money that I lost in the last six months—oh my gosh, That's it was—it was shocking. And and the thing is, I think if I would have had a business partner who was a real business person, I know they would have said you have to close because you are going to drain every penny that you have. And, and I basically did. And right, because uh, you're right. You're not the business mind. You're the, the you're the community. I'm the artsy guy. You're the artsy type. You're the people person. You want to stick it out because you have this romantic character to your, you know, it's like you're part of your character rather. And so therefore, you know, you want to try, you're you're fighting and everybody's going to rally and there's got to be a solution. But meanwhile. And it's also that, you know, the, 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 I don't even know how long it was, three and a half years or so that I had the theater, maybe four years was that they were up and down. And you would have like a couple of months that were really bad. And then you would get one good film and it would turn everything around. You could pay all your debts on that one film if it did really well. So I kept waiting for that film. That film finally came around the last six weeks when we were closing. So I wasn't... Which one it was? It was the one with Philip Seymour Hoffman. The last thing that he did um, where he played like a, a, a German agent or something like that oh i don't know okay um, you know i can look it up give me a second i was doing the hbo things so. yeah he was uh let's see philip seymour hoffman movies 
And it was a really good film, too. No, not any of those things. Let's see. Let's go to IMDb because I'll be able to see it there. It was a really good film. And we were the only ones in Brooklyn that had it. We had. Wow. We have an exclusive. Hunger Games, Happy Slate Quartet, The Master. Slate actually a lot of his films. Uh, why aren't they showing it here? Dean, was it The Hunger Games? Ah, A Most Wanted Man. Okay. Yeah. You remember that name, but yeah. I know. And that was that 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 sold out. Wow. Constantly, like almost every night. We it, it, and, and it was, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a really, really good film. It's really, I, I, I think I saw it like three times. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but that, that, and we had a Woody Allen film at the same time before all the bad things happened. And both of those films, I mean, the Woody Allen film wasn't selling out, but we were getting like three quarters of, of the, the seats filled every day, every night. Um, so between those two films, it was a great way to go out, except that if I would have been able to stay in business, if we could have stayed in, the, in, that, in that building, I would have been fine for probably another year, at least. I remember the whole, I remember a lot of details and they're kind of starting to come back. Like well, basically, when they were yeah. going to redesign the building, where they were going to put in a new building, you were going to go in the basement potentially, right. but there was part of this arrangement, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They kept changing and shifting the timing and everything. Well, what, what really happened was the guy who owned it, um, he wanted to redevelop it. And initially when he announced the plans, the cinema wasn't in it. And the Brooklyn, everyone in Brooklyn Heights went crazy. Like, how dare you? How could you do this? And he called me up and he said, we're putting you back in. And we have an architect who's drawing up the plans. I'd like you to, he, by the way, this guy was great. He was, he, I, he was the best landlord you could ever hope for. And he, he called me and he said, next week, come to my office. Let's show you the plan. See what you think. I looked at the plan and I said, this looks great. It looks fine. And so he went, you know, because Brooklyn Heights is a landmark area, the building wasn't landmark, but it had to get the approval of the Landmarks Commission. So he went down there and he said, listen, we'd really like you to come with us and, and basically pitch the cinema and basically tell them, you know, the story. And I said, I'm there. And I went there and, and explained everything and said, look, this is a great plan. And it's just amazing how, how ignorant people are. Some, several of the people on this board, they said, well, it's going to be in the basement. Isn't that a little weird? And I said, well, you know, first of all, there are no windows in cinemas. And I said, secondly, the Paris Theater is underground. The Angelica Theater is underground. It's not unusual in any way. The, um, the what was it? The, the Lincoln Plaza is underground. The Lincoln Plaza is exactly Lincoln. And I, I, I mean, I think I mentioned like them, I, I mentioned like three cinemas that they all knew about and they turned it down. And so he went back and he said, well, we're going to come up with another plan. He came up with another plan uh, a couple of months later. Again, the plan looked fine. The cinemas in the plan, it looks great. They turned him down again. And I got back to, to the cinema and my manager said, so what happened? I said, they turned him down and there's no good reason why. And she said, well, what do you think is going to happen? I said, he's going to sell the building. He put all this money in and I would sell the building. And, and the thing is that the building had been given to him by his grandfather. So he never, he, I mean, he was, he was a real estate guy, but he never had to pay for it. So whatever he sold, 
was free money, right? And he knew he could sell it for like 7 million. And so sure enough, he called up, he called me like two weeks later and he said, I'm selling the building. And I was like, yeah, I, I kind of figured that. And it took a while, but the person who bought it was a huge arts lover. But, and, and the first thing he did was he, he came down, introduced himself and he said, I'd like to take you to coffee and talk about things. And he said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't keep you in the building because I just paid $7 million for this thing. And I have to make that money back. And he said, your cinema is not going to help. And I said, no, I know that. And he, but he actually was really good. He said, if you find another place, I might be willing to invest in it, but I couldn't find anything. So he, you know, he was, I, I met with him a couple of times and totally understood where he was coming from. You know, and so I didn't even yeah. try to convince him because he was right. And he well, and as the, the, you know, we, we started talking about Battle for Brooklyn. I mean, the ship had sailed. The, I mean, uh, Brooklyn pro- real estate was a fait accompli. You know, you you yeah. you had to get lucky with with version A and the board. You're right. They sounded right. really just mis, mis, misguided and uh, misinformed because uh, that was the only way you're going to survive in. Yeah. And where things were going, the, the the powers that be, the you know the the politicians and the developers had decided already what they were going to do with Brooklyn. Yeah, you know, as Battle of Brooklyn, really again. Right, right. So you know, and finding didn't matter what what the communities did anymore because it was theater. After it was just like it's, there's no way to turn the ship. No, and it's also that the Brooklyn Heights Association pretty much screwed us, screwed me as well. Because they, a lot of the people in the Heights Association came to the theater all the time. They came, in fact, actually, there were one or two people that saw every single movie there. And one of them told me, look, we love the cinema, but the building, keeping the historic nature of the building is more important. Mm. I said, what part of the historic building are you talking about? And it's like, well, the wall that goes down Orange, I think it was Orange Street, um, that's historic. That's been there since the 18 blah, blah, blah. I said, who cares? Who knows that? Right. And she said, well, that's important to us. That's not the soul of the, the yeah. That's what I said. I said, you've got a cinema here that has been here. It is, it is the local cinema. Um, I said, I've, I've been going there since almost since it started. That's why I bought it because I didn't want to see it go out of business. And you're telling me that that wall is more important. And she said, yes. Wow. So they didn't fight for the cinema. They fought for the wall, which was just idiotic. So, so well, it, did it, what, what, was Mexico going to pay for that wall? <laughs> What's the uh, big deal? I don't understand. I know. I'm not sure. But I tell you, when the landlord went to the, the landlord's commission, he even said, we understand this is important. This is what we're going to do to either shore it up or we'll take it apart and put it back together the same way because we don't, you know, and they were just like, no. Now, of course, the plan that they approved with the new owner was pretty much the same plan. So it was, it, it was just, he had more connections, I think, um, and more experience with dealing with the Landmarks Commission, but his building didn't look any better or worse than the other ones. Uh, they were both, they were all good plans as far as I was concerned. Uh, but, but then looking for something else, I mean, I, I spent a year looking for something else and trying desperately to find something. And after a year, that's like, I'm giving up. That's, there's, there's nothing else I can do. Hey, I remember that. And I, thank, yeah. you for, thank you for 
strolling down memory lane with me, uh, even if memory lane is, is on the corner of orange. <laughs> Henry, because it's got to be bittersweet still. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I am not exaggerating. I had dreams about that cinema for years. Really? That. Yeah. So and did that play were, in your part to move? Did, did that play into your decision to relocate? Yeah, I wanted to. I, 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 I had it with New York. I, I could not wait to leave. Uh, and by the way, all the dreams were good dreams that somehow we managed to reopen. Wow. Somehow we managed to stay in that building. They weren't like bad dreams. They, but, but that was even worse because then I would wake up as if maybe there was a chance. Right. There was, there was never a chance. Um, those dreams went on for literally for years, for several wow. years. Wow. Uh, I mean, not every night, but they were. I get it. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, I really want I, I just, I had really soured on New York. Wow. Um, and what, I just, the, what, what was it waiting for you in Switzerland? Well, my ex-girlfriend was Swiss. And so we had actually decided I wanted to leave. She was, she was like, okay, you know, if you want to leave, we'll leave. But we have to find a place that we both agree on. And so we went through one city after another. She wanted to move to L.A. And I said, no, we can't move to L.A. Because neither one of us would make, be able to make a living in L.A. And she's a, she's a photographer. And she's, and she's a really, really good photographer, also a graphic designer, but she just wanted to do photography. I said, you're going to be one of how many people there? And, and I'm going to do, what am I going to do there? I can't open a cinema there. And being a musician there, forget that. So I'd have to go to be like back to computer IT stuff. And how would I make a living at that? And so then I, I then was like, okay, well, I grew up. Stern? What? Sir? Lucerne? Is that yeah, Switzerland? It is Switzerland. That, that okay. was my, my first job here. So uh, we're at, I'm actually in Bern. She was from Bern. So okay. in the end, what we did was we said, okay, let's both look for full-time jobs. And the first one that finds it, that's where we go. Because at least one of us will be making money there. And I said, Switzerland is one of those places. And she agreed. She got a job in Switzerland <laughs> right away. I mean, like right away. And, and then... Like in Switzerland, you sign a contract and you start like two months later, depending on like the, the thing. So she signed the contract starting two months later, a month before we were supposed to move. She was still not convinced that she wanted to go there. And I was like, you got to make up your mind. This is like a big deal. And so finally she said, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to go. And I, as soon as I got here, I loved it. I just, I just felt at home. Um, everything around here is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I thought about, yeah, maybe doing something with the cinema here. And there, there is a cinema that actually is like a 10 minute walk from, from where we used to live when we were together. And I, I live like five minutes away from where we used to live. And it's still like a 10 minute walk. It's still close enough, but I would go to movies on Saturday nights. We would go and the place was maybe a third full maybe the only time it was ever full was a huge blockbuster but for red the kind of films that i would have played it was i don't know how these places stay in business because i knew what you needed to make to make money there so they're not subsidized no no they are not um the swiss government subsidizes a lot of things but they weren't subsidizing cinemas and, and, and I don't know if I would have been able to get it because I'm not Swiss, you know, so they wouldn't have given me any money anyway. Um, and, 
and, and, and also in the past three years, but even before COVID, there were, I think, like seven or eight cinemas in Bern. And it's a small town. There are only one, two, three, I think four left. They well, like yeah, that. no, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, one of them. I mean, there are probably too many. I mean, um, considering now you have so, so many alternatives at home yeah. that, it, you know, you don't need. I mean, I, not that I wish anybody out of their livelihoods, of course, you know, because people was, a, was their people were working there and, you know, loved it maybe. And yeah. And, and the cinemas that are survived are all really small. Right. They're, they're basically like the Brooklyn Heights cinema. You know, right. 150 seats per screen or less. And there are actually this one place that has, has survived that's huge. And it's a it's the kind of place where you want to see, you know, the Avengers or something something like that. And they've done okay. Uh, but they have been closed. I don't even think they're open yet. Mm. They've been closed for a year and a half. Wow. Um, yeah, they they were open. For about a month, when when Byrne decided that they would open things again, and then the numbers went up, and they closed everything again. Right, right, right. Uh, there's actually no reason for them not to reopen now because you have to prove that you're vaccinated, and they would be able to do it. Right. Uh, they, I mean, the last time I passed, which was probably a couple of weeks ago, they still weren't open. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe they finally opened now, but it was yeah. I mean, I thought about it, and I, I realized it just yeah, there was no way to do it. Um, so, but I still love it here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working in it again. Uh, I work for a really good company, uh, luckily. And, um, yeah, my, my first job was actually in Lucerne. So I would go there every morning and it was rough. I had to be there at eight o'clock in the morning, which meant getting up at like six 30. Okay. And I am not a morning person. Uh, okay. But that's not, yeah. that's no, to me, if you, if, if I was left to my own devices, I would get up at 10 o'clock every day. Okay. Because <laughs> so, you're only. Well, it's also from from being a musician. You know, I played yeah. as I've played professionally for so many years, and even after that, I was still playing every weekend. Um, and you know, you got home at two o'clock in the morning. An early night. Yeah. 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 I mean, there, there were a lot of times where I would be racing the sun. It's like, I'm never going to get to sleep unless I get home before the sun comes up, you know, <laughs> and it would be like, oh, my God, I've got like another half hour, you know, looking out the window. Um, so that's what I'm used to. So getting up at six, actually like 620 was just brutal. I mean, I was just exhausted all the time. Thankfully, uh-huh. the I have now. I was able to get up like at 7.30, which was still really early, but we've been working from home for a year and a half. Right. So, oh, right. So I, I can sleep later, but I get more work done because I get out of bed and 10 minutes later, I'm at work. You know? yeah, no, no, I, I can see that for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, but it, it's, and it's also really, I mean, I literally have not stepped foot in a movie theater in a year and a half. And so kind of exactly. Yeah. And I've one, seen one movie. In a movie theater, really? Which one? Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to make any sense to you, but uh, I, I saw Cruella. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the Disney movie, yeah. Because yeah. I I took the kids. Oh, okay. Well, that makes I sense. Saw, I was in LA, and uh, and I'm like, let's go, let's go to a movie, you know? Yeah. And it was. I, I would see almost anything. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't bad. It was it was fun. I thought yeah. Emma Stone. It was fun, and it was an, yeah. otherwise an entirely, I think, almost entirely British cast, which I kind of thought they were all good, you know. Yeah. 
was yeah, fun. I mean, there was there was a film that played here once the cinemas had reopened that I really wanted to see, but it was before they they said that people had to be vaccinated, and I, I wasn't vaccinated yet, and I was like, I'm not going to do it. Uh, it's just not safe. And uh, well, since then I've been vaccinated, so. So now I feel like I could go, but I still, I don't want to go unless I know everybody there is vaccinated. And even with music, I really, I mean, I finished my next CD and I really want to release it, but I don't want to release it until I can start performing again. Well, they finally opened the clubs and I started calling around. A lot of these clubs are booked for the next year. Right, right, right. That makes, yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, everybody, totally everybody. Understandable. Everybody, everybody, you know, was like, okay, now we can play again. Let's go. Right. And anybody who has a name, and I don't have a name here yet. Right. All yeah. So, um, so there are still some places that I'm going to look into where I think I'm going to be able to play. But I'm also looking like outside of Switzerland because, you know, the great thing about being here is you're close to Italy is two hours away. Germany is like an hour away. France is an hour away. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. so there are so, and, and England, I can get on a plane and be there in two hours. And the other thing is the airfare here is nothing like what you see in the States. Yeah, I can go I back and forth. I can go to Madrid round trip for 200. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 Well, I'd be curious to hear some of your, your new music. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll send you, uh, I'll send you some notes to stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I basically, uh, but I finished it. I, initially, I finished it a year and a half ago. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was ready to release it, and and then COVID. And I thought, all right, well, that's not going to happen. Now you should wait until you, you can start. You should wait to release it. Did you release it? No, I haven't okay. released it yet. because I'm I was going to say, wait till you can get some, some, you know, like it's a little closer. Well, to getting it. Yeah, I don't want to release something that I can't play for six months. I want right. to release it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, but yeah. the nice thing is that once I was working from home, I thought, well, let me listen to it again. And everything. The, the songs I had sounded fine. But in the meantime, I'd written a couple of new songs. I thought, well, I'll just put those on there too. So it actually, I mean, I wouldn't say it worked out, but, but now there are some other songs on there. Right, for sure. Like, right. really good. It's going to so, be a double uh, album before you know it, if that's the thing. Well, actually, it's, it's, it's actually still a pretty short album. It's, okay. it's, 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 like, it's like 36 minutes or something like that. And I was going to add like some more stuff. And I thought, no, I really, this is it. I really like the way it is. These songs all work together. And all the, the other, the next, the, the next few songs I write, they'll be on the next thing. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, uh, and my brothers, we've kind of finished the artwork. I just have to finish the liner notes and then get the damn thing out there. So, right. uh, so I've been, I've been working on that a lot. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a strange time. You know, it really, well, it really, I mean, it sounds like you're, you figured it out. I mean, considering, yeah. you know. But yeah, I mean, I, and, and this, I, I think I figured it out. I'm just waiting to be able to do a lot of things that I want to do, to start playing again, um, to start traveling again. I finally feel like I can travel now mm-hmm. uh, because you have to prove that you're vaccinated wherever you go. So I'll feel a lot safer uh, and a lot of other countries like Germany and Spain, uh, they, their percentage of vaccinations is much higher than Switzerland. So, so I feel like those places are going to be pretty safe. Ah, okay. Well, great. This is terrific. Thanks for, for doing this with me. It's, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure. And, you know, let's stay a little bit better touch, I say. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, you know where I am. I know where you are. So anytime, really anytime, because really I, I, I talk to my brothers, my stepfather. And like I said, a couple of friends, uh, I mean, not, not every month, but pretty close to it every month, every couple of months. And, and it's always, you know, it's always great to see people, especially since, like I said, I have no plans to move back. Um, and I, I actually haven't been to New York in like four years. My God. Yeah, well, you know, I was supposed to go four years ago, and the company I was working for at the time, it was a small company. There were like six of us, and there were only four of us that were doing what I was doing, which was like IT support for companies in, in Lucerne, and two of the guys quit on the same day, uh, which was just a coincidence, mm-hmm. but I was supposed to go on vacation six weeks later. Oh, I see. And my boss... The owner, he was also going on vacation the same time I was, which was fine if the other two people were there. Right. So once they left, he said, "Can you, you can't go?" Yeah. And I, thankfully, I hadn't bought my bought my tickets yet, so I canceled that. And then the next year, I had to have like some major surgery, so I couldn't travel. And then last year, COVID, and this year, COVID. Yeah. So now I'm thinking, well, next year, <laughs> no, I hope. Yeah. Fingers so, crossed. And, and it's also because it's been so long, I'm sure I won't even recognize the city because I've heard that so many buildings have gone up everywhere. Yeah, but it's, yeah, you will. But also a lot of restaurants have closed. Yeah. I mean, my brother, you know, he lives in the East Village. And every time I talk to him, he's like, oh, this place, they closed. Oh, this place, they closed. Yeah. It's so, depressing, but yeah. It's still New York, but it's. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It's always going to be New York. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so hopefully I'll be back next year, you know, for a couple of weeks. All right, well, if things match up, maybe we'll run into each other. Yeah, well, I'll let you know. I mean, I certainly, okay. the whole idea is I'm coming back to, to catch up with everybody. And just That's right. Person. You know, so, yeah, so I'll let you know. And I'll meet, you know, you know where I'll meet you. Where? The Brooklyn Heights Cinema? The Walk. <laughs> <laughs> Better be there. That's all I'm saying. Actually, have, have you been there like in the last six months? I actually walked by. I did actually walk by. I didn't make it. I didn't make a mental note, but I, I did. I was, I had a thing in Dumbo mm-hmm. about a month ago. I had a like, yeah, like a date. Yeah. And I went, I was in the city anyway. And, and um, afterwards I walked, we walked to the, uh, the, uh, the two, three train stop there. Oh yeah. For a whole. Or actually, no, no on, Clark, on Clark Street. Clark Street Station. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we yeah. would have walked right by there, yeah. But what's on, do you know what's on the first floor? I don't remember. Uh-huh. My shops. I, I, I assume it's like a Dwayne Reed or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's I mean, like, I can look it up, but I've just been like, it's, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to know. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know it's not a Got to move on. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. You know, you start looking it up. Next thing you know, you're having dreams again. You know. Uh, yeah, I know. You don't go that route. No, I don't really. No. no. I'm going down to Brooklyn. Uh, I think this weekend. I got. I'm, I'm involved in a film production mm-hmm. up here, shooting up here. Yeah. And I'm. I'm. I was going to go down for my birthday weekend, but I have to just make sure. I got heard from the producer when we were on this call that uh, that it's not going to screw anybody up if I'm gone. Because they were shooting on Monday and Tuesday, and they're sending stuff to me under my name that they need mm-hmm. those days. They're sent, so I just want to make sure I don't screw anything up if I'm uh, yeah. if I'm away Saturday, Sunday, or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, 
Okay, well, again, uh, it was so nice to see you. And you too. It was, it's amazing. I, I'm grateful for all the uh, details of everything. It's amazing. Uh, um, yeah. That's but we'll have to have another conversation about politics, and, you know, because we clash oh, yeah. so much. We clash so Any, much. Anytime. anytime. There's such <laughs> ideological differences in, between us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, last thing I'll say is, you know, on Facebook, I'm, obviously I have a lot of friends and for years, people would say, oh, I had to get rid of this friend or I had to get rid of that friend. And I said, you know, I didn't get rid of any of my friends. None of my friends were Trump supporters, you know? We were no, all none of mine either, but people, unfortunately, yeah, and it's like, and aren't it's like, discriminating. They, they actually have pe- friends that are not friends. Yeah. On, on well, I, I actually do have friends that are Republicans and they are appalled as just as appalled as we are. So well, they should they, switch parties though. Or become well, you know, they, they are what I would always refer to as New England Republicans. Uh-huh. And a New England Republican is a slightly more conservative Democrat. Mm. It's, not a, it's not really a Republican. It's a Republican, you know, what they say, like Rhino. It's a Republican name only. Right. Uh, well, there used to be a Venn diagram, but I, those days, like also, they just don't exist. Oh, those days are on. Because it's run by, like, you know, this fringe yeah. minority who now have co-opted the entire party, you know. Yeah. So they won, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, and they, so they, real Republicans, you know, conservative, actual conservatives yeah. need to find a different party. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even people like George Will, Bill Crystal. Well, yeah. Guys, Neos, yeah. I know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right, man. Same here. And, uh, nice evening. And uh, thanks. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk again soon. This was too far. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. All right. See you, Adam. See you. That's what I thought. Me and Sue. That dad too. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week, and we will catch up with yet another original guest, one of the first guests, Carmine Famiglietti, and, of course, just a brand-new episode of the podcast. And I appreciate your listening and uh, subscribing and sharing the show's existence with the people you know. Also, remember, we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget that. Okay, so take care of yourselves and the ones you love. It's important. And we'll be back. In, uh, in a week with another episode of the show. Take care. Solitary man. Solitary man.